listening to the Young Money Podcast, where Eddie Youngrise interviews young entrepreneurs, hustlers, and innovators to get a first-hand view into the exciting future and the people who will lead us there. Hey, Teddy. Hey, Josh. How's it going? Not bad. How are you, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. Just, uh, yeah, pretty good week. It's nice out here in New York. Uh, yeah, things are good. I love it. Nice out here in LA, too. I mean, I, I, I miss New York. I, I lived there like a few a few years ago and they they definitely win when it comes to the music scene. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember you telling me before, you know, I, I kind of know that you're you're a big jazz musician, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are a couple of really, really famous clubs in New York. Um, and yeah, I would just go and hit them up and uh, and 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 just watch, honestly. Sometimes I would play like in there's one called Smoke that had an open jam session uh, that I would play in sometimes. But nice. yeah, I miss that, dude. I've been, I haven't been able to play for like months just because like it's, it's hard to find people to play with during COVID. But yeah, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it'll pick up pick up soon. Um, one of my one of my cousin's friends was visiting and he um, he went to new school and, and uh, did jazz. And we went to like we tried to go to Fat Cat. I think it was it was close or close early. But, mm-hmm. but it's funny because I yeah I don't really know the jazz scene that well in in New York um, just because I don't like have any close friends in it um, but I feel like it's super vibrant and you know definitely want to check it out more. Yeah, definitely should. It's it's going to be reinvigorated now now as well. Like for the next I guess when, as COVID winds down, um, it's it's definitely going to be a good time for for art and culture in the city. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, well, Josh, super happy to have you on here. Um, really appreciate it. Like I said. Just thought about doing a podcast because why not? And I have a lot of cool friends like yourself who do cool, who do a lot, a lot of interesting things, and um, would want wanted to just like give a platform for for you to just you know share your story, um, you know share lessons you learned, and you know just have a way to just kind of share that information. But yeah, I guess just from the start, um, love to just kind of dive right in and 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 kind of hear a little bit of your background, um, how you got interested in startups. Um, going, I guess, maybe all the way back to high school or however far you want to go and kind of at a high level, that journey and what you're doing today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I mean, this is just really cool. Uh, super cool initiative that you're, you know, heading up here. So, um, yeah, I'd love to, I guess, start. Uh, high school is actually probably a good place to start when it comes to that. Um, I didn't really discover entrepreneurship really until I went to college, but I mean, we were just talking about music. So I think my closest, um, my closest parallel to that was was a, a band that I started in high school called the Four O'clock Five, and this was like a you know small uh, group of five of us. Um, we got together and just started jamming like maybe junior year of, of high school um, more casually. And uh, there was a moment in which we kind of were a bit more inspired to do uh, a bit more than what we were expected. We started to um, think about recording and like going on tours and that kind of thing. So um the business side of it started to become very very important yeah. for me um at the time i was also a waiter at a restaurant called salsalitos in texas and i would say of all the money that i made from tips to purchase audio equipment uh for the, for the band for the four o'clock five and with that audio equipment we were able to uh to record some albums and um and uh, you know, do some cool stuff, go on some tours around Texas, and I guess that was maybe my first foray into into entrepreneurship, if you can, if you can call that entrepreneurship. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, music's been a, a big part of my life ever since ever since I really got into it deeply in in middle school or so. So it's certainly important for an entrepreneur to have kind of like a, a work life balance. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd go as so far as to call myself like a full-blown entrepreneur yet, but um, definitely if, if I ever get to that point where, um, you know, things are just really, uh, really happening, I feel like music is going to be what keeps me grounded. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. And all throughout college, it was, it was a, that's why it kind of sucks that with, with COVID, um, there aren't that many people to jam with. But um, yeah, so after high school, I, I, went to Stanford, um, for undergrad. I wasn't sure about what, you know, computer science was, uh, what math, you know, 
real math, I guess, was uh, entrepreneurship definitely didn't really know what that was from a, te- from a technical perspective. And I went into this school um, thinking that I was going to major in music composition, actually. Um, and I, I planned to do music composition and a couple of courses in physics because that was my other like passion. Um, turned out that I was way too underprepared for, uh, for, for the types of physics that they're, they're doing over at Stanford. So um, I dropped the course that I was in, I think it was like the, the 60 series, um, really, really tough physics course. Uh, dropped it after like three days and, and enrolled in CS106A, which was an incredible, incredible experience. Like I, I'm so glad that I took that class instead. Um, it really kind of sparked a fire uh, of interest for computer science and building things. And I didn't do well in it. Uh, the, the first quarter, I didn't do well in computer science at all. I think I got like C minus or something. And with grade inflation, that's like, you have to work hard to get that low of a grade. At yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I kept improving over time as far as uh, just getting my bearings around how school worked. And, um, you know, the next quarter I got a C plus and 106B and then I got a B minus and CS 108. And then, uh, you know, kept in linearly increasing until I was, I was hitting those A's and A pluses, uh, junior and senior year. So, um, had to, had to get my bearings, but, uh, just that, that, that initial spark of, of interest is what kept me going throughout those years. Um, and yeah, during that time, I also started to get more interested in entrepreneurship. And this is actually where we met Teddy, I guess, in, in Chuck Easley's, uh, E145 technology yeah. entrepreneurship class. Um, and it's so cool to, to, to see, you know, where, where journeys have taken us, but that was my first experience, uh, with like real, real entrepreneurship, I would say like, like techno, well, not to say that other non-tech entrepreneurship is, is not real, but, um, it, it was like definitely a different field than, than anything that I experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, that class taught me so much. Oh my gosh. Like, like <laughs> if anyone's out there listening, uh, and, and is a student at Stanford, definitely recommend you taking Chuck, Chuck's class. Uh, entering 145 um, taught us about prototyping. It's this term to identify customer customer need in a in a in a in a way that doesn't like drain resources and, yeah. and kind of validates ideas. Um, super super useful. So in that class, I actually worked on um, my my first my first business, I guess, uh, while at school. It was called AppFit. It was uh, stand for APFYT stands for Upney for your thoughts. Um, it was basically like a smart receipts uh, company. It was like basically you, you'd, you'd have a, a receipt printed out by a point of sale system and you'd be able to scan that receipt and collect the data about your purchase, whether that be the nutrition data or the, the, the prices um, and track your, your nutrition over time uh, for restaurants, your spending habits, et cetera. Um, ended up taking that through a couple different courses at Stanford uh, freshman year. So I, I took a couple of courses at the, the graduate school business there um, and recruited a couple MBA students to join uh, and work on it over the summer. I took it through an incubator uh, program called Praxis Labs. And that was really an amazing learning experience as well. Mm-hmm. And um, just having that sort of like redemptive entrepreneurship uh, learning. And um, it didn't end up working out the company. I mean, I, I uh, closed it down at the end of the summer realized that I w- it wasn't the right time for me to start something like that. And I also probably wasn't the right person for it. Mm. Um, but all in all, I, I'm super glad that I did it. Um, and so after, after that, you know, it was, this is sophomore year, I guess. I got in a pretty bad motorcycle accident, which uh, put me out of commission um, for a few weeks, which is kind of, the, I, I guess, the impetus for me really closing down shop on, on AppFit. Um, and I took a step back at that point and thought, you know, I, I have to probably start taking less risk in life. I was, I was getting to the point where I was thinking about dropping out and working on it full time, even though I didn't have any, uh, any real strong, like signal that the market needed it. I was just yeah. trying to go gung ho for it. Um, so that motorcycle accident put things in perspective for me. And so I took a step back, um, focused on school, uh, and trying to improve in, in the core fundamentals, um, and, and get my chops up. And that, that year, um, in, in winter, I think I got this cold email. No, 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 no. This is this is fall, I guess. I get this cold email from um, from a researcher, at IBM Research, uh, named Ashish Kundu, 
who is this incredible um, researcher, you know, uh, mentor figure, eventual mentor figure, saying, hey, we just came across your resume. Would you like to interview for IBM Research? And that's, this to me was just like totally out of the blue. I, I didn't even know I had submitted um, a resume. I, I wasn't even <laughs> looking for internships. Yeah. But I'm so grateful that, you know, they, they came across it because I was, you know, even I was like late to the internship game, right? Because I was thinking about working on AppFit, but then it didn't work out. And so I wasn't prepared. And this is just like a total godsend. Um, and we just, um, sorry about that. And so we can cut that out. Yeah, it's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that was what ended up taking the job. It was an incredible experience and it really got me passionate about research and, and, you know, working on papers and patents and that kind of thing that, that sort of really got me super, super interested in AI machine learning hmm. and, and blockchain. That's what, uh, I know there's a lot of buzzwords in there, but <laughs> it was a pretty broad internship. It was they, they yeah. put me on a very long leash, which I, I was grateful for. I, I was able to work on all those things, um, and that I guess I think that's what really set the stage for the next few years, even even up to now, is that experience that that internship at IBM Research. I did another one at, uh, for IBM the next year, um, but that initial one was was really formative for me. Um, and so uh, I mentioned my my mentor Ashish, who uh, who reached out to me at first. We actually ended up starting a company called Siphons um, together uh, after that internship, um, and uh, I'm skipping over uh, over the other thing that I worked on uh, prior to that, kind of in between AppFit and IBM. But I'll get to that one later, so it's going to be relevant, relevant later. But sure. um, Ashish and I worked on this company called Siphons for about a year and a half with a couple of the co-founders. Two of them were based in India, and I've never met them in person to this day. Uh, and Ashish, of course, I met, I met, but the, the fifth co-founder, I guess, um, it is, uh, he, he's the, um, associate dean for the business school at UC Riverside. Um, and I, I, I haven't met him in person either. He, he was one of the ones who wrote one of my recommendations for business school and I still didn't, uh, had never met him in person. Um, it's kind of interesting, but worked on siphons for about a year and a half, uh, got like angel funded, but that was pretty much it. Um, and it's still going, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool company basically working on on-premises factory security, like, like uh, physical security hmm. um, using uh, edge AI and computer vision. And that was really another really cool experience. It was, it was I guess like a, a way to get my head around and have experience working remotely before COVID hit. Cause yeah. literally the entire um, experience of that was completely remote. Like we, at one point, I was uh, managing like 25 uh, technical employees and interns, um, and they were all remote. Most of them were based in India, so that was like a really, really interesting experience. Not not only just working like um, remotely, but but also uh, in t- totally different time zones. Yeah. Um, and so, so that that was neat. Um, when COVID hit, um, I decided to. I, I decided to sort of start this initiative called the COVID-19 Response Innovation Lab, which was an incubator uh, to, to kind of like, you know, accelerate projects that were trying to tackle COVID and its various implications. Um, we, we launched that initially just for Stanford and it grew, um, it grew, you know, beyond Stanford. Um, we ended up having, I think, around 500 people or so across uh, over 40 countries, which is pretty cool. Uh, place of origin. Um, it's pretty interesting. And, I, I decided to stop working full-time on Siphons uh, uh, and step back from that in order to work on this full-time. Um, and, uh, you know, where it really started was with the incoming MBA class uh, of the Stanford GSB of that year. Um, I, I was you know, fortunate enough to apply and get admitted to the MBA and the MS computer science program. And um, we were all just sitting at home, like thinking about what we should be doing with our time. And a couple of us just decided to like uh, take some action and say, hey, we should all work on projects together to try to tackle COVID and, and get some good experience along the way. Yeah. Um, and so ran with that accelerator for uh, for about 12 weeks. We, we weren't able to secure any funding from institutions like, you know, uh, we, we weren't a charity, so we weren't able to, you know, take in money from donors like that as a 501c3 would, but at the same time, we weren't able to, get any money from Stanford 
uh, because there was no like faculty person who was, who was leading it. So it was a little bit tough to, to run it um, as far as like the financials go. But um, otherwise, I, I think we were able to do a really good job with bringing in high, high quality speakers, you know, place uh, people together in different projects and, and provide um, guidance and mentorship there. And um, ended up merging that with another initiative that was institutionally uh, sort of, I guess, backed uh, called Stanford Rebuild. Um, and they were able to kind of take the take the reins and, and, and go forward with that. Um, and they, they, but we were we were kind of there for the, the very initial hit of COVID, where, where everyone was just kind of like frazzled and didn't know what to do. Um, so I think it was it served its purpose. Um, that initiative actually is where I met my my last co-founders, Martin Aginis and Kamal Ali. Uh, these these guys are just some of the most incredibly talented um, people I've ever worked with, and. Uh, we started this company called Access Bell uh, together. This is a, a video conferencing business that um, that was used by uh, Tata Group among a couple others for for telemedicine. Um, and of course, we pivoted a few times along the way. But we worked on that for about a year. Went through um, Pair VC's accelerator, uh, which, by the way, super super amazing accelerator. I definitely recommend it. Um, it's probably the best best in class. Like um, in my personal opinion, better uh guidance mentorship resources than even like yc you know 500 startups etc yeah um so super super good um and uh we we ended up um we ended up actually selling that company to tata in the end um that happened that closed back in march and we announced it uh i think two weeks ago or so and that was a really neat experience just like being able to Kind of learn and we're, we're all all three of us were, were doing our first year mbas uh concurrently while working on access bell uh sort of full-time so it's kind of kind of quite a quite a busy time for all of us um but we were able to learn uh a lot of a lot of really cool enterprise business um while while you know going to business school and, and sort of getting that experience there so um very grateful for that experience super fun um and really formative and um, the thing that I'm currently working on, uh, I can't talk too much about, but it's an NFT company, um, and it's called Autograph. So hopefully we'll be able to you know, share more about it in, in the next couple of months. Um, yeah. we have some more announcements, but, uh, that's another exciting business, but it, it's in the blockchain space, obviously, uh, being with NFTs. Um, my interest there comes with Marlin protocol, which I alluded to earlier. Uh, and that was a, a business that I, I was helped, helps help start um building the initial prototype for a decentralized content delivery network on ethereum and uh super super cool experience working that with a guy named Pratty sharma who uh who was stanford ms computer science at the time um i i, ha I had to leave to, to work at ibm research on that commitment but that project actually ended up uh ended up icoing in december of 2020 which is really cool um it's cool to be part of that at the beginning um but yeah i mean that's a little bit about well, maybe a lot, <laughs> maybe too much about my journey so far. I hope it hope it covers most of it. Yeah, no, th th that was great. And I actually like it better when when guests, you know, people just talk about their whole story together. Um, just kind of seeing how everything connects and like also the way that you look at it now. You know, I'm sure during the, during everything going on, you you didn't know the connections, you know, where things would happen. But <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I mean, first off, Josh, I feel like you've your career, and I mean your career and you're super young is like very impressive and you've done like a wide range of things. Um, you know, everything from consumer to, you know, to learning engineering, programming, research, blockchain space, enterprise. Now you kind of create your economy consumer again. I mean, I feel like you've done a wide, wide breadth of things. That's, that's super cool. Um, yeah, I guess going back to the beginning, um, what what sparked your interest like i mean do you think the music the, the fact that you you know basically were putting this band together and then handling all the business operations and all that you think that's what got you in this, into entrepreneurship um but what was there what was it specifically that, that got you intrigued to move away from doing music and at stanford and, and actually just go into a completely different path mm. that's a great question and to purpose I'm 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 the type of person who's highly influenced by the environment that he's in. Um, Stanford is an environment of incredible inspiration and, and motivation when it comes to yeah. peers doing amazing things. 
Um, and I saw, I saw entrepreneurship as a way to have an incredibly important impact in the world. Um, and, 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 um, Oh, to have a good impact in the world. Moreover, um, that's really what drives me. Like what drives me every day is, you know, what type of impact am I having? I, I, that's, that's my North star. And so, um, entrepreneurship in my mind is, is, is the way to sort of the best ROI on time to have the, the strongest positive impact that, that someone like me, maybe someone with, with my background and, and, and skills, um, can have. So, um, as far as me getting initially into entrepreneurship, I think it was a, a good amount of like, um, maybe that competitive nature. I was trying to, you know, uh, compete with my peers who are also doing equally amazing things, if not more. Um, and, um, and, and, and I wanted to have, you know, I've always been sort of driven toward a sense of purpose and impact. Uh, and so the, the purpose for me was, was like, it used to be music. Um, that used to be like where I dr drove a lot of my personal self sense of identity and value from. Yeah. And when I got to Stanford, uh, that quickly, I mean, it just opened my eyes to the broader world. And I realized that that wasn't, I feel, you know, my, my ultimate calling. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just, uh, just driving toward that sense of purpose is what, what got me into entrepreneurship. And it's also what keeps me here. Um, and it's what will keep me here. I, I, I hope, um, yeah. 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 You're also pretty humble given, given all the, you know, achievements you've, you've had, you know, this, you know, this young of an age, but yeah, no, I definitely agree with the purpose. And, um, it is funny how, how Stanford can like create that environment for a lot of people, you know, I had so many stories of people coming in, want to study something different, end up leaning into computer science. And that's a huge group of people. And then there's a subset of that, of people who come in and like want to start companies. So Definitely, I think the school does a great job of of, uh, of really promoting that and fostering that like sense which, uh, of like entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I, you mentioned the motorcycle accident. What, what was what was that? Was that your motorcycle, or what happened with that? And, and how did it how did it change your perspective on things? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so yes, this this was my motorcycle. Um, <laughs> I I <laughs> the story behind me getting I was I was. Uh, Let's see. Shoot, I think I got it. Um, got it kind of midway through the summer. I, I was feeling feeling just like I was I was I was trying to be edgy and, and dangerous and risky and like have a you know live a little you know, as they say or, or, yeah. or yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And I was also like maybe going through some emotional stuff, um, which which contributed to it. Um, but yeah, I had the motorcycle for, for a couple months when, when I first got it, I think I got it for like a couple hundred bucks. It's a nice motorcycle for a couple hundred bucks, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I got it in San Jose and, uh, can't remember if I, I didn't know how to ride at the time, of course. And so I, I think I, I drove it, I drove it for a little bit on the road, um, <laughs> uh, for the first time, which is like, I probably shouldn't have, uh, driven it at that point, but, um, uh, kind of self-taught uh, how to ride the motorcycle and then got a license. Um, uh, uh, I didn't actually, I didn't actually drive it from San Jose to Palo Alto. I think I had it shipped. Um, but yeah, it, it was just like that risky part of me. I, what I'm trying to do is like, I guess like I was, I was, I was a very high risk taker then in terms of like personal life. Um, and just, you know, it was dumb risk. It was like unnecessary risk. And and and, um, and did you take risk like that before college, or were you, like, have you always been like that? Not really. No, no, no. College was, dang, dude. Like college was a total paradigm shift for me. It was just thrown into a completely new environment, like super, um, super different than what I was used to. And it was almost like a, it was almost like a waking up period. Um, I think I've had a couple of moments in my life where I've you know, maybe, maybe like a layer has been lifted away from my eyes and I'm waking up a little bit more. Yeah. And that, I mean, Stanford is, is just the perfect catalyst for that. I mean, like very intense and very painful to be honest that a, a lot of times, but, um, but that was one. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I, I was getting onto the freeway, um, one day, one day on the motorcycle, uh, I, I had, um, taken it to the shop and it was, it had gotten, been it had been in the shop for like a week or so so i was a little bit rusty i guess with writing and 
stupidly i wore like you know flip-flops and in shorts and uh a really really cheap helmet like i usually wore good stuff I mean, yeah, that I, day i guess i just i was like oh i'm just i'm not gonna ride my motorcycle i'm gonna uber but i'm ubering to my motorcycle so i didn't like put the two together it's like, yeah yeah um uh so i got the motorcycle was gonna be on the freeway and um sort of misjudged uh how fast i was going to be able to turn to avoid actually crashing into the concrete median separating the the lanes of of the of the freeway yeah um hit hit the median uh motorcycle careens to the side into a ditch never actually saw it again got towed away by the dump truck um or, or whatever and i you know flipped over several times like ended up on the side of oncoming traffic in the freeway wow so could have been could have been a lot better got a lot um a lot worse um I guess it could have been a lot better too. Um, uh, <laughs> but it could have been a lot worse. And, yeah. and that's what I'm grateful for. Um, had a, definitely had a garden angel looking over me. Um, but yeah, just luckily no cars were coming during that time. So I didn't get totally, um, totally KO'd. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was, that was a motorcycle experience. I haven't, I haven't ridden it a motorcycle since then. Yeah. And I don't know if I will. I, I know my parents don't want me to. They did. They didn't. Um, they didn't approve of meeting it, it in the first place. Even though my dad rode motorcycles when he was a kid, um, <laughs> that's just how things go. Maybe some some things you have to just learn yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it it is funny with like wisdom like that. Um, it's like not very efficient. Like to yeah. have to experience things on your own to really get the message. But but yeah, I, it'd be a lot better if someone told you something. You're like, yeah, I I understand that. I internalize it, but. Sometimes you have to fall, you know, on your face a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's a crazy experience. I mean, and then from that, like, you know, did, did that make you look at things differently? Like you, did you want to take risks even more? Like, you know, I could have died might as well just go for it. Or how did that change things? Um, I'm not sure what it did to my risk profile. I think I'm still a very risk prone person Yeah, in a way. Um, I think I take smarter risks now, maybe. Um, if, if that, maybe that's an awesome word. I don't know. Um, but what what it really did is is made me. Uh, that that was another kind of I guess waking up moment. It, it made me very grateful um, to yeah. still be alive. It was a second chance that was given to me, um, and you know it's my responsibility to use that second chance to the best of my of my abilities, the best I possibly can. Um, and that's that's how I've seen. That's how I've seen my life ever since and it's, it's, it's sort of a second chance. And, and, and I, um, I need to use it well. Like I, I don't have the right to not use it well. Yeah. The best I can. Yeah. That's a pretty, pretty crazy way to, to think about it. It's true. Um, I also feel like, like, like across the span of the, the different things you've done, you've kind of just done a lot of things and been open to it. How did you, and, and you know, you hear this all the time with with entrepreneurs, especially it's all about persistence, all being open minded, curious, always wanting to learn. But there's also kind of like the the other edge that I mean, I, and I agree with that side, but there's the other side uh, of the coin, which is like, oh no, you should be very focused in one area, passionate about something, spend years and years getting deep into it, and only start a company if you really need to. But otherwise, you shouldn't be doing it just because something sounds fun or interesting. It seems like you've you've done the approach of just trying different things out and, and learning continually. What, what's your philosophy on that? Mm. That's a great question. Another great question. Um, you're right. My philosophy has definitely been to explore, um, explore many things, uh, try things out, you know, see what works, see what doesn't. Um, I, I have a lot of respect for people who, um, who spend years in a, in a specific field and they become experts and then they yeah. create value in a business based on that. Like, I guess many, many projects that come out of like academic laboratories are, are, are in that vein, like PhDs getting out the research into, into startups or professors and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, maybe it'd be cool to do something like that one day. Um, for me, I feel very, I feel, I feel much more, I guess, intellectually stimulated when I'm working on um, a plethora of, of things, mm-hmm. um, or kind of been engaged by many things oftentimes at once. Yeah. Um, and you know, if I were to do maybe one of those things by itself, I probably have maybe even a, a less, lesser output for that one thing than if I were to do a couple things. 
Um, that's how it's always been. I mean, like when I was at IBM research, like sure it was a full-time job, but I was also working on Siphon's full-time. Yeah. And uh, if you look at my output between the first year at IBM research and the second year, like I, 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 you know, put out about twice as many, you know, patents and papers my second year at IBM while I was working on something else hmm. than I did in my first year. Maybe that's because I also had like, um, I knew the ropes a little bit, but I definitely felt more engaged at that time, even though I was putting in like, you know, 80 or 90 hours a week at the first one. Yeah. And I could get, and I could get the second one for the, for the both things I was working on. I, I felt much more mentally engaged and it's, it's always been the same. Like I, whenever I'm at school, I, whenever I was at school, I, I would play in, you know, like three or four ensembles per quarter. And that's like a lot of music, yeah. um, but it was necessary to be honest, because um, during that time I used that as um, another, another outlet, another mode of intellectual stimulation. I was able to work on research during that time and, and, and uh, you know, conducting research and doing classes and um, working on startups, et cetera. So that, that's always been something that is, I, I just, I just, that's the way I like to do things. Yeah, um, and I saw like a noticeable drop in my, in my, um, in my performance. I guess uh, when 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 COVID first hit, uh, and we were just kind of you know sitting around um, because of the lack of. I think it's because of the lack of musical engagement. To be honest, uh, like I, I wasn't able to play any music during that time, and that was uh, that was a big hit. I, gradually, I kind of got back into like. Uh, just playing at home and, and having people over and stuff um, at a distance, but but yeah, during that time it was like, yeah, I, I just didn't feel as productive. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I, I definitely can relate. I mean, I think it's like, yeah, just having a lot of energy and being interested in a lot of things, you kind of need to keep the brain moving. Otherwise, you feel like anxious and you feel like you should yeah. you should be doing more. And there mm-hmm. needs to be outlets for for different things. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people also like, especially like Stanford people or, you know, people go to good schools or whatever, kind of conditioned to be um, stimulated and then have stimuli all the time and like do multiple things, you know, music, school, you know, um, clubs, all these different things. And it's like, then you're later in life, you know, the goal, I guess, is to do one job nine to five. That's it's kind of like, there's a disconnect there. I feel like um and, and more and more people are starting to do side hustles and get more involved more entrepreneurial i feel like that's the really the way it should be it's more exciting actually one friend who put it this way it's a little out there but it's kind of like the the original way that humans were uh get into whole like, like anthropology and stuff and obviously a lot of a lot of, a lot of elements there with uh you know how we developed and all that but um one thing is that we our work was based on was infrequent but high risk, high reward and interesting um, and changing all the time. So meaning like there was like food, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see getting food was a whole, it was, it was hunter gatherer society. You were always constantly trying to survive and things were always changing and adapting. There wasn't really that stability and it changed all the time. And that actually gave us kind of like enjoyment, fulfillment um, and, 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 and challenge us. So I feel like that my friends like, yeah, you know, we kind of have now have a nine to five job and that's like a, stable like source of income and food and sustenance and whatever but it's like that we were designed to be like hunters and gatherers always looking for the next opportunity trying new things out um so i definitely i definitely side with that i feel like you, you do too mm-hmm. I, I would say so yeah and that's a really cool insight i i, I wasn't um i guess it makes sense intuitively but i hadn't thought of uh thought of that connection um it sort of goes to i think i think to, to each their own. I think there are there are many different types of people who love different ways of doing things, and, and yeah. I have you know that most respect for people who who um, who are just incredibly passionate about you know maybe, maybe doing uh, a more structured like uh, continuous nine to five and and are, and are you know super good at what they do within that, and uh, folks who who are more maybe more like us who just want to grind at all time uh and, and have it be high risk high reward um you know to each their own they're all they're all totally valid but um but I, I do agree with you i think we're both probably in the category of like um of you know maybe the, the hunter gatherer where we're um we, we find that that you know dopamine release or serotonin release when we 
uh, when we achieve that that milestone. So we we hustle hustle until until we're we're just exhausted, and then we hustle some more to get the, to get there and uh, yeah. do that over and over again. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I, I definitely want to touch on the you getting into blockchain. I feel like another another thing that's interesting about your your history is that there was I mean so much change in technology and I feel like it's only getting exponential. You hear all these things. There's all these new shifts happening, um, and it seems like with every new shift and every every new trend or like new technology, you've been like, hey, I want to get involved, and you've gotten involved and you've learned through that. Mm-hmm. So you know, blockchain is a great example of that you got into blockchain space. What was that like? Um, also, what was it like doing an ICO? Because I know that there's a lot of sketchy ICOs, but obviously, you know, some that are legitimate. And we're now in kind of a second wave of blockchain related to NFTs and kind of what you're working on now. But how did you get interested in that? And what was that experience like with your first blockchain experience? Yeah, great question. Um, so, so actually, to, to clarify things, I wasn't in, I wasn't involved with the, the ICO. I had already been long gone at that point. Okay. Um, but it was, it was super cool to kind of see that see that happen for sure um but yeah uh blockchain is a good good example i got interested in blockchain um gosh I, in- I got interested in, in bitcoin in high school i think like early high school so i was like 2014 2013 and that was kind of weird because i wasn't really interested in technology at, at all i wasn't i wasn't programming i wasn't uh, and i didn't buy it i didn't buy a lot of it i just you know I, that was my first exposure um, as it turns out, there's this, there's this guy, uh, named Max Fang, who, um, he's the, the, the president of, of blockchain at Berkeley, UC Berkeley. Um, he, he like, uh, it, there, the, he was, um, I, I didn't know him for, for that reason. Um, he was, I mentioned I was, I was big into music. Well, I was, I was very, very competitive when it came to music in high school. Um, and you know, I, you know, we compete at. Um, area level and state level, et cetera. And, and kind of the, the, the really good school that had all the best percussionists was, um, was called Johnson high school. Um, and, uh, and in Johnson city, Texas. And, um, there's this guy named Max Feng who's a few years ahead of me. And he was, he was another percussionist. I, I was, I was a percussionist a drummer and he was, he was really good. Um, I, I sort of like, he, he was maybe three years ahead of me. So. I didn't really see him as direct competition, but was definitely aware of him. And at that point, he was also he had also been like mining Bitcoin, so he got in super super early. Oh wow! Um, and so like it was kind of weird because now because then he like he became the president of blockchain at Berkeley, and then now is like maybe like what is he like an adjunct professor for law or something like that in, in blockchain? It's pretty insane. I was just like trying to find yeah. him uh, on LinkedIn the other day. I, 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 I also remember in the early days that like. Berkeley was trying to claim blockchain as, as its own thing and like kind of compete with Stanford. I feel like that's kind of changed. You know, it's it's hard <laughs> it's hard to beat Stanford. But I remember in the early days, everyone's like, yeah, but yeah. like Berkeley blockchain, all that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I don't know if anyone should claim blockchain. It goes against the nature of this. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um. But yeah, I, I I like got got interested in it. Um. I actually wanted to. I, I didn't apply for the internship at IBM, but I did apply for an internship at Coinbase freshman year and I got rejected from it. But um, I wanted to do that uh, before I, I don't, I don't know what, what was, what really the impetus was. I just think maybe um, it was just, it was just an interesting technology seemed to be on the, on the, on the forefront of things. And yeah. I don't know if I totally grasped the, the, the incredible societal implications of it, which, you know, are, are incredible, but um, yeah. And then, for Marlin Protocol, to, to be honest, like I didn't naturally push myself into blockchain. Like I, I was interested in it. I, I, you know, bought Bitcoin, etc. Um, not a lot of it, but like I had an experience with it. Mm-hmm. Um, what pushed me into blockchain was that that cold email from IBM. Um, it was like it was part of their blockchain security research group. Um, yeah. So I was like, holy crap! I, I should get really good at blockchain, learn all about it. And so I, I, I created my own DAP. Um, and then I started working on, uh, Marlin protocol with, with Pratty. Um, and that was a really cool experience as well. Like we, uh, um, you know, we, we, we basically came up with this, or we, we, uh, we, uh, programmed this, this first prototype of a decentralized content delivery network, um, on Ethereum, uh, 
using just like the testnet, of course, but um, essentially what, what, what that project uh, was responsible for doing is, is identifying peers on the network that had latent storage uh, on, their, on their devices, mm-hmm. um, placing uh, chunked media onto those devices in a way that can be then um, delivered quickly to other peers on the network uh, when demanded. And these peers, when they, when they perform the delivery and, and storage over time, would be re- rewarded with the native token of the network, which was at that point called Lin. Um, now it's now it's called Pond. Um, and so yeah, like it, it just worked on that for three months. It was a super cool experience, uh, especially like probably I, I sort of see, see him as a his, as a bigger brother now. He he also left uh, Marlin Protocol. Uh, he left way before the ICO as well, but. Um, uh, he went, went and worked at Facebook AI research uh, or something like that. And then now he's working on his own company called Dashworks, which he took through YC. Uh, they raised a, a good size seed and they're super exciting. Um, and what, what, what are they doing? Uh, they're doing, gosh, um, they're doing like NLP across like company data stores, I think. Like if, if I'm remembering correctly, it's like um, you have all this knowledge in, in, in your company's databases and other knowledge bases and sort and you want to perform NLP to kind of like organize and summarize uh, and and process it. I don't quote me on that. I, I know it's I know it has to do with NLP because I was trying to I was looking for some NLP engineers for them uh, through my network and was going to connect with, with some folks there. But uh, but they're they're in the NLP space for enterprise essentially. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, and, and uh, enterprise good good segue or or I guess before that. Um, I remember you telling me this before that because it was kind of unique that you went to Stanford Business School right after senior year, um, and you kind of gave me some rationale, which I, I thought was like you know made, made a lot of sense, and I, and I think it obviously worked out. But what was your what was your decision making in that when you graduated yeah. of getting your MBA right away? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, my decision making process, well, that decision was informed by not being informed, I would say. Uh, at the time I was just like, all right, you know, business school is just another grad school that most people go into right out of college. So I was just so, I was so out of the loop that I didn't even realize that I probably should wait a few years before applying. Um, but I applied anyway. Uh, and, um, I mean, very fortunately got in, I, I don't know, I think, um, th- thanks to Kirsten Moss, uh, shout out <laughs> to the Dean for admissions, um, for letting me in, uh, cause I've, I've really enjoyed my time there. Um, and I miss it a lot and I hope to return. Yeah. Uh, eventually to finish it up but um but yeah like i i felt like it was in terms of like me actually applying beyond just not knowing you know the timelines etc um i felt like it was the right time for a couple of reasons the first was that i knew i wanted to do entrepreneurship and work on businesses but i didn't have that like golden i don't know if there exists like a golden idea but i didn't have like a really strong thing that I was super passionate about. And I was like, this is what, what I'm going to work on after school. Yeah. Um, and so I sort of saw it as a two year incubation period for ideas and meeting people and, and developing things. And then the other part of it was, um, I think like, I just realized that I had an amazing couple of recommenders, um, people who t- to write recommendation letters for me uh, at the time. Like I, one of my co-founders for Siphons was um, a professor and an associate dean at the the business school at UC Riverside. So very acclaimed in like accounting. Um, so he wrote one of my recs and then um, the director of security research at IBM, J.R. Rao uh, and uh, Arjun Natarajan, uh, they're my sort of managers and they wrote me some, some, some good recommendations as well. So um, I, was, I was super fortunate just to have those types of people. And I felt like, wow, like, I don't know if I'm gonna have this type of opportunity in terms of like, uh, the the folks who could write me recs in, in in the future i mean we'll see but that feels like a good a time as any so oh the the actual impetus for that actually this is a funny story um i mean i've been thinking about it a little bit but the real the real impetus for that was the summer the summer of the application deadline um i was attending a conference in milan italy uh i was presenting some work on um iot network security um that uh, a paper on that. And, um, it was a really cool experience, like going and visiting Italy, et cetera. And so, um, most of the, con- for most of these conferences, you usually have a lot of free time. Yeah. I mean, you're presenting your paper for like 15 minutes or 20 minutes, 30, 
but then the rest of the whole time you're basically like free to go and look at the other exhibitions or or um just go and explore the city so um i saw a couple of cool things some of my friends were working at bing um and bing uh the consulting group and uh um i was like huh bain is like pretty close by to where i am i want i want to go visit it and see what's inside i was wearing like shorts and flip-flops as always um and just kind of like you know waltzed in um and when i got to the front desk they just gave me this weird look it's like it was i think it's because the way i was dressed and yeah. i tried to walk in and, and you know say hey can i come look around uh the office and they're like uh no <laughs> um and they gave me that that really weird look and it almost made me feel like they were like turning their nose up to me and i was like okay well you know what like um the people that bain you know go after and try hard to get are, are, are stanford mbas so i'm going to become a stanford mba and show them um so so uh, yeah i just uh that was that was like the, the initial initial like catalyst <laughs> for me actually like starting the application and then yeah and then uh so it, it was all to uh access bell all these companies it's all because of of you wanting to get into bain <laughs> not get into Bain, but just to like show them up, like yeah, like yeah. turn them down eventually. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, right. Like and 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 that's due to to other things. Like it's all it's all a progression of things. But yeah, but yeah, that was kind of an interesting link in the chain, I guess. Yeah, um, and I feel like I feel like you're a well-rounded person, and but you and you have the technical side, product side, business side. Was also getting MBA, maybe like a. I mean, I, I think I think the way you put it, a, a good time to um period of maybe pause and meet, meet new people and then wait for the next opportunity which you didn't have at the time which i think is actually really smart um but do you think also it was, it was good for you learning maybe more of the business side of, of companies yes um absolutely the short answer is absolutely unfortunately i wasn't able to fully take advantage of that opportunity because um to go in and do an mba without any real work experience it's kind yeah. of tough to relate what they're talking about in class to yeah, yeah. to your actual personal experience and so it's, it's tougher to internalize yeah. which is why when i return hopefully eventually i'm gonna actually see much more roi in my time in class uh than i did last time and that kind of showed I, I almost never showed up to um to some of my classes and and uh <laughs> i was a bad student but um <laughs> especially the winter quarter i was well, that was when we were starting autograph and i was like I'm not even going to start the finals. I'm just going to take them because I'm yeah. grand autograph. But and I was also living in LA already. But uh, but yeah, like um, business school is wonderful for teaching those types of skills about leadership and in operations. Um, to be honest, those are the skills that I don't have come come supernaturally to me, and so I need to work incredibly hard to to build them up. Um, I mean, I, I don't really even know if I would say any skills really come naturally to me besides like maybe like music and just general creativity. Um, I had to work super, super hard as you, as I mentioned for, to, to, to like, you know, get my head on straight for computer science and research. And yeah, the same is true for business. Like I've had to work super hard and I'm continuing to work super hard to become a, hopefully a great oper operator and, and, um, a business, business manager, leader, and eventual, eventual CEO uh, of another company one day um and yeah i mean it just oh, hopefully you know hopefully um uh not going with it for everything but um yeah. but the, the the business school i i thought was like a, a way for me to build those skills um without necessarily um without necessarily tr having to do it on the fly when everything else is at stake um yeah. and that's kind of true here with autograph like like i i'm, I'm learning a lot of things on the fly and it's true. Like I, I, I'm coming in fairly inexperienced compared to a lot of other people I'm working with on my team, and it, it, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's tough sometimes because I'm like, shoot. Like if I had more experience, I would have been able to do this better and uh, X, Y, Z. Like you know that kind of thing. Um, I, I feel like that that's the best way to learn, though. I mean, if you have the opportunity to be just learning by doing, and um, and there's so many, and like I, I think this school is great. I, I mean, you know, it worked out and everything, but. That's usually my critique of like graduate school is that I feel like you learn a lot um, by actually doing something. And there's a lot of like, you know, like, for instance, even at a company, you can learn how to be a product marketing manager at a company, but can you learn how to create the product marketing strategy? Like, I think, you know, usually you're just kind of taking orders or, and you obviously you move up and you, then you start initiatives. But when you're thrown into the gauntlet and you just figure it out, 
um, and you have people to learn from as well as like, you know, opportunity for you to learn and create yourself. I feel like that's, those are the times when you learn when you, when you grow the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, definitely agree with you. It just, uh, you, there are growing pains. Uh, yeah. A, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and so with access bell really quick, and I don't want to end on autograph, but with access bell, another great example of, I mean, props again, you being on, 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 on top of things, noticing trends, leaning into it, willing to try new things out and to just risk, just go for, you know, the risky decision and, and try it. Um, at that time it was COVID. You were a first year MBA student, a lot of uncertainty, sort of the initiative, um, the nonprofit. You learned also some, a little bit about bureaucracy. It sounds like uh, working with, with universities. Um, but then you guys started a company based around video conferencing when, Video conferencing was the hot thing. Zoom was blowing up. The fake, the 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 stock that looked like Zoom was blowing up. Um, <laughs> how did? Because I feel like that's another thing too. Is some people shy away from hot areas that are trending, and maybe they think, okay, it's already been done. It's too late. I can't get caught up enough, or or it's already been solved. Seems like you've had success diving into new areas, and like at the beginning, or you know, when they're starting out, and um, succeeding what what um what was that like getting into video conferencing um and access well, i guess if you could maybe explain the company a little bit more and, and your decision around that yeah totally and i just want to preface with like I, i'm i'm not um i i don't have any any real like credibility here so anything that i say like i have thoughts but i'm not sure if they're accurate um yeah. when it applies to, to, to the world at large uh but i'll share them nevertheless um, uh, I think, I think when you see trends, um, largely speaking, you have to largely speaking, there's, there are going to be like other, other opportunities that emerge from those trends, um, that you don't know of quite yet, but if you ride that wave, you will find them. But yeah. in order to ride the wave, you have to be more, um, more operationally intense and like relentless than you would if you were to be simply way, way, way early on a trend and get lucky in that, in that way. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so what we did is I mean, we, we, we grinded super hard. We, we were staying up, you know, working probably 15 to, 15 to 17 hours a day. Um, and uh, maybe 17, 17 is a lot, is a lot but, um, but we, we were grinding quite a bit. Um, and I think that had to happen in order for us to, to get any sort of traction uh, and, in the market. And that, so. and that grinding, sorry to cut you off, was that, that, that push because you knew there's competition out there, you know, maybe the opportunity is like right now, like, like what was the reason for, for moving so fast on, I mean, obviously you want to move fast, but like what, what was the real, you know, what motivated that? Yeah. We just had a really good team dynamic. I think uh, it wasn't necessarily that, well, there was a little bit of like, yeah, like video conferencing is hot, like COVID. Yeah. It, people are, people are really feeling the, the, uh, the detriments of COVID. And so we're, we're wanting to like solve them as fast as we possibly can. Yeah. Um, just because we want to help, uh, the world out. Um, and actually I could, I could speak a little bit about how Axel got started. So, yeah. um, initially it was, it was not in the telemedicine space. It was, uh, a platform for students and professionals um, to come together and um, and share expertise advice on a pro bono basis. Basically, um, professionals would um, put their times that they're available in our calendar system. Um, uh, students would discover the professionals in our discovery and recommendation engine system. Um, and these are students who had like lost their jobs or internships due to COVID. Yeah. Um, and then they would uh, be connected over a video conferencing uh, system that we and we initially zoomed for that. Actually, we were hacking Zoom, um, and it wasn't working out too well for us. We were having to like really hackily create a ton of different Zoom accounts. So we actually ended up using our own uh, our own video software based on WebRTC, which is an open source project. Um, but yeah, essentially that was the problem. Like we we pivoted away from uh, from from that. Uh, after realizing that we should really focus on this, this video tool that is really high quality that we sort of built um, and, and double into that. And that was actually due uh, in large part, huge kudos and thanks to um, a guy named Constantine Bueller, who's just 
I, brilliant. I, I know Constantine. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He's 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 just uh, such a homie. He's he's so so brilliant, and like yeah. I can't say enough good about him. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, he's a, he's a partner at Sequoia Capital. Um, cover he does a lot of their their early stage um, yeah. AI and enterprise investments, and so we were meeting with him like twice a week. Uh, he he also um, was helping me out with the COVID response lab. He um, was super gracious and like um, actually gave gave a talk and. And was super, was very engaged in like helping mentor students and, and such. Um, yeah, we've been we've been uh, we've been connected ever since. But um, he he really was kind of the one who pushed us toward you know maybe you guys should focus on the video conferencing core competency that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we did. So we we dived into that, or dove into that. Um, and, I had and, a and were there any metrics or any like signs that you guys? That the initial idea was not working. I, I, this comes up so many times, but it's so true. It's like persistence and like iterating and knowing when to iterate are mm-hmm. like extremely valuable. Um, and I feel like that's seen more with successful entrepreneurs than, than not. Like, how did you guys decide that? I mean, a lot of times people want to be committed to the initial vision and not stray away from that. Like, no, this is right. It's going to work out. How, do, how are you guys able to, to quickly change mm-hmm. and pivot the company? Yeah, I think I think it could have worked, but it was harder to monetize. Um, and we didn't really necessarily want to make money off of these students or professionals. Like we, yeah, like it was literally like you know that, like these are people who are already like out of a job. We don't want to charge them. Um, so we were going to pivot to like becoming this uh, this service enterprise platform for like conferences. Um, uh, we 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 struck one deal with. Um, with with a with a big conference uh, in in product marketing, um, that was one of Martin's connections. Uh, didn't end up closing that deal because there was some mismatching uh, expectations on on the on the pricing, um, and started to see that you know maybe it's maybe this isn't like the biggest pie that we can take a piece out of. Um, and yeah, I guess it was it was mostly like it, like the, the platform itself was 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 doing really well, and we we kept it going. Uh, as a, as a as a helpful platform, um, people were using it quite a bit. But um, as as a business, I think we wanted to like steer more into enterprise because it was like more scalable. And 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 uh, personally, I think it aligned more with my my interests. Uh, like I, I I typically like working on and this is this has changed and morphed over time. But like yeah. I like really hard tech uh, challenges and problems. Um, I also like consumer stuff. Like that's a really cool way, cool way of thinking, and I love yeah. think, I love seeing the the sort of the sort of multiplicity of the impact, like the 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 fact that many people are being um, yeah. impacted by it. But yeah, but I also like really sinking my teeth into like hard engineering uh, enterprise problems. So that was those were like kind of the two reasons. Um, yeah, and then and then quickly, then I you know definitely don't take too much more of your time. But um, to access Bell got acquired eventually, which, you know, once again, that's huge. Most companies fail and you guys were able to, to achieve that in a year. How was that? Yeah. What was that process? Like, what'd you learn from that? Yeah. Um, that was a, that was, that was, that was a fun process. <laughs> kind of crazy. Um, so I'll tell the story really quickly. So I do have to drop on in one minute for a meeting, but, sure. um, Basically, got connected to Tata through uh, a friend who I had at the GSB. I remember, I, I took a, a couple of classes at the GSB freshman year um, and was working on AppFit with a few GSB students. Well, um, one of my friends I met through that program, who's an NSX student and also happened to be a GM at Tata, it was one of those people who worked with me on AppFit. Um, and she returned to be, to be a GM at Tata after that. Um, and we were just catching up. I was catching up with her on her own video conferencing platform. Um, and was going to ask her advice. And she was like, wow, we're like starting an initiative that could use this. Um, and that's, that's, that's what kind of got the customer relationship started. Um, and Tata, you know, used us more and more as we went along with it. They're um, continuing to grow that initiative, that medicine and medical and diagnostics uh, branch of Tata out in, and, and access. But hopefully it's going to be an increasing part of that as they move forward. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, amazing. Thanks again, Josh. And then last quick question is, were you, were you the inspiration behind uh, the Tom Brady's lightning eyes or what's the uh, story on that? Oh my gosh. No, that was, that was uh, completely independent. No, none of us talked to him about that. He just did that. I'm not, really? I'm not, I think someone tweeted a picture at him and they did it like themselves and he just kind of 
downloaded that and put it as his profile or something. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Amazing. Awesome. Well, Josh, thanks again. Great chatting with you. Um, definitely stay in touch soon, but, uh, yeah, thanks again. Really, really, uh, love hearing more about your story and I'm sure everybody else will as, as well. Likewise, man. Great to talk to you and, and, uh, let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. See you, man. Take care. Bye.